I'm just some guy who knows how to upload to SoundCloud. Uh, this is Alistair Banks. And <laughs> to bring it all together, we're going to be a little bit seat of the pants this time. Welcome back to the Frogger 45. Only a slight holiday vacation break in there. You know, it, it, it happens. It was a good one. And in Seattle... And actually, the city of Seattle today is... Yay, Michael Lynn, myself. I don't know, last time we did one of these, I was just getting into the swing of my new job. Did we really talk about my new job? We talked about where you're at, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so um, up here at uh, my new gigs at Dropbox in Seattle. Resident Mac admin here, making frequent appearances on Slack as Frogger and elsewhere under other names. And the magic word to summon him is private framework, we've learned. <laughs> all, all that you need to do, or uh, how do I access this through the native frameworks? And he appears. And today we have a special guest. Introduce yourself, Mr. Pepin Bruyan. I feel like I'm almost a returning guest, but um, hello, everybody. My name is Pepin Bruyan. I'm a uh, Mac admin. I'll just shorten my title to that at the University of Michigan. You may know him from such films as... Uh, BSD Pi from EnterpriseMac.Brilliant.com and Podcasts Ago with Charles Edge. What I have been tasked to do is do the follow-up and time this gosh darn thing to make sure we actually get it into the can in 45 minutes. But what has been asked of us to uh, clear up regarding the Frogger and his prowess with them private frameworks being accessed from Python is what is it about the Python end of things, or more to the point, why doesn't Objective-C slash Swift slash anything native to the platform not cut the mustard for you? So if you would mind expounding on that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, the stuff that I'm doing now is really an extension of what I've been doing long since before Swift even entered into the picture. So, But as far as like the choice between doing native code, like compiled code like Objective-C, versus doing Python, the vast bulk of the actual data juggling, data handling, the logic piece of my code is regular Python. Uh, PyObjective-C I, I make use of to just touch Apple APIs to do things to OS X that Python itself is unable to do. R really, like the actual language, I enjoy writing logic and tools in is still Python. And, and one of the reasons I do enjoy it is because it's an interactive interpreted language. You can open up the Python uh, interactive command line interpreter and do something like variable equals three times four or whatever, and then inspect the results. I like that hands-on approach. And literally up until Xcode added playgrounds functionality, that that kind of functionality was missing. And then on top of it, I don't need to compile anything. I don't need an entire tool set. I just need to have the Python interpreter on my machine. I'm, I may need to compile something if I'm doing like a, a, a third-party module or whatever, but I try to write a lot of code that uses what ships in OS X, no extra bells and whistles required. So it's uh, all I need is a text editor, and uh, it, it makes the requirements very low makes it very easy to rapidly iterate and interactively work with the code to see, okay, this part's broken. 
inspect the object in real time and see, oh, I got this error here and fix this. You know, it, it's it's very tinkerable compared, uh, I felt, to like a compiled language, which is very fragile. You know, one mistake in your your logic or something like that, and you, your application won't even run. Your round trip, your feedback loop, both of those things are ways in which uh, it excels. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's, Or at least that's my personal take on it. I was going to also jump in because it's sort of being Python being my first like real foray into anything that resembles programming outside of writing some bash scripts. It is very accessible in when you just want to get started and just, you know, figure out a problem, figure out a solution and write something around it. The interactivity, first of all, makes it super easy because you can actually see what you're doing. And I think that Apple was smart with, with Swift having that REPL sort of like right off the bat where people can see what they're doing. Because if you have to do a whole lot of, you know, vague hand-waving and magic incantations about, well, this is just something we do, you know. We flip the the thing twice before we put it down because that's what our ancestors did. Uh, <laughs> this is much more... Sink, sink, sink. Exactly. So this is, uh, you, you, get, you can get going, you get a result, and you have something in your hands versus a lot of, well, none of this matters yet, but we'll get to the good part soon enough, I promise. So... That was the big attraction for me, that I could get something done with uh, with very little time uh, spent on sort of almost like a, a rite of passage or a, an entrance exam. Until you understand this, thou shalt not write any code, which is kind of like defeating the purpose, especially for sysadmins who just want to get some stuff done and move on and play, I don't know, NetHack or something. As if they have a shortage of things to accomplish. Exactly, because usually we're just sitting on our hands not doing anything, so we want to get back to that state of not doing anything. With Python being so clear in what the data structures are or what the one way, quote-unquote, to do things, it's kind of also easy, even if it's not going to end up in Python, to just mock up something to say, all right, I know I need something like data structures, and data structures are semi-portable across languages. So, for example, not to name drop OS query again and again and again, but here goes. It was very nice to be able to show them, hey, system frameworks are accessible in this way, and now I can actually get to what the default interface is, for example. Like we were just talking about that in OS Query, that there's no concept of service order necessarily on other platforms that they write their um, Objective C++ for. So imagine that. I'm not quite as savvy on the C++. But I can show them how I interact with those frameworks for them to look at the Darwin side of things uh, when they're going to attack a problem. Right. But if I could throw a big cleaver in the middle of this, this conversation to say, like, eh, we're, we're in a place. Uh, Frogger, do you have closing comments on, on this, this point as, as it was posed to you directly? I think it's also a great time to learn Python if you've never tried it before because there's so many interactive tutorials online where you can literally, it'll provide you a simple test, write this function that does this thing, and you could type it in your web browser, and it'll run it interactively in your browser and give you results back. Great resources out there for learning Python that aren't operating system specific. I highly recommend it to anyone. Yeah, Coursera is one of them where I use their interface quite extensively, and they even had graphical ways that you would interact with assets in a browser completely. And you get that fast feedback loop, but you can also get a somewhat standard platform that you no longer worry about dependencies on the local machine. You just worry about computer science-related interaction with data in-out, getting it going. The main event of why we have this gentleman from Michigan 
who is a frequent flyer on the AFP 548 airwaves. Let's take it back a step to what inspired the conversation that brought about the time of this podcast. What I really wanted to talk to Papine, or at least give him a chance to talk to about it himself, is some of the stuff he's been doing really recently with DEP, which, if people haven't heard about it, is the device enrollment. Is it protocol or program? I can't remember. Program. Program, it's yeah. All program. Yeah. That Apple offers for their iOS and Mac devices, but more specifically, the stuff that you've been doing really as of late on the Mac side of things is really interesting. I think what kicked off it was that that video, right, from IBM with the, the Jamf thing? Yeah. So just to step back, the device enrollment program, Apple basically wants to be the earliest possible step in which you can get a machine out of the box and have it do stuff that is magical uh, to set itself up and basically sort of get to the point where IT shops can direct ship from Apple to, to a user. The user opens the box, it turns on and magically gets itself set up for that organization, which obviously, um, like I said, it's fairly magical. I'm supposed to say DEP, but I like that better. So I'm just going to say DEP and Apple can uh, uh, correct me on that. With SCCM nowadays and Windows PCs, you can get a pretty early hook into machines, although I would say it's probably so far up to par with what we can do with things like auto damage and imager and basically getting a machine set up and falling into the fold pretty quickly. But for Apple and IBM to partner, IBM obviously needed something to get those clients set up no matter what the situation. So whether they are on site somewhere at an IBM office, which I believe are everywhere, including under the oceans at this point, um, but if users are working from home, which happens more and more these days, how are they going to scale this? If they have 40,000 users, some of which are working at home, how do you scale getting these machines set up first and then shipping them to the intended end user? So it sounds like DEP was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back in a good way in that they could now use that to get a machine to an IBM employee, wherever they may be, and open a machine and it uses DEP to set itself up and get itself into IBM's control, basically. And this is the part that I'm excited about here. You're talking like literally like shrink-wrapped directly from Apple, shipped directly to the facility. Exactly. So that is the that is sort of the, the earliest, I think, possible point you can tap into that is it is shipped from Apple somewhere, gets to the user, and they break the seal and flip it up. And after some network setup these days, a lot of times there will be Wi-Fi setup, it will announce itself to the DEP service, which will then direct it what to do. So IBM showed this off at the JNUC, the Jamf Nation User Conference in 2015, october I believe it was. And they had the, um, I forget what his title is, but basically one of their head tech people, I forget his exact title. We can... Fletcher Previn is the VP... What is this? VP of Workplace as a Service. Wow. Because we need good marketing names to then bring down to IBM's other customers. He went on stage and showed what they are doing with the Jamf product, which, among others, has an MDM offering that allows basically combining Jamf's Casper tools with mobile device management protocol to tie it all together and basically manage Macs. So they partnered with Jamf and Apple on that, and they showed how an IBM employee will open up their uh, MacBook 
uh, MacBook Pro, whatever it may be. It will check it with IBM. They give their IBM credentials. It sets up the machine, drops them into create a new user. And as soon as they log in, it shows a little dialogue that says, welcome to your new Mac. Uh, we now need to reboot. This is mostly because they enable File Vault immediately. After the reboot, they log back in and Casper's uh, typical self-servers app comes up and, 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 they and, th- and they throw like that welcome screen in there as well. So they have a welcome screen. Yeah, and, and that's the part right there. Right there was the part that just fascinated the hell out of me. Oh, yeah, me too. Was that it's stock OS ten coming from Apple mm-hmm. and suddenly right. – Casper software right. is on it. Exactly. When I saw that, I, I think I had the same reaction, like, that is so cool. And second was, I need to figure out how they do that because there is no way they're just going to keep this to themselves. I reround the video a bunch of times trying to figure out if I could see what it was doing. And it was sort of unclear. I just went around basically asking first Casper people. I got some feedback mostly, I think, because it's Casper so you know, automatic in a way that it sort of just happens. So people don't necessarily have a, a good idea of how it happens. It just does. So I kind of piece things together, ask some questions and kind of got some, some, some feedback and some, some ideas, some, some leads to go on. Luckily my employer themselves are a enterprise developer account holder. So I requested to be added to that program uh, because that allowed me to get to the Apple MDM spec document, which, as I figured out pretty quickly, has basically all the the jewels in it, but it's not really necessarily presented as, you know, this is where the actual gold lies. It's mostly just a typical, this is how our API works and good luck and have fun. So I, I had to dig into that a little bit, but part of the MDM spec is the DEP API and VPP as well. Sort of unsurprising. They're all a little different. They all work slightly different. I went to dig into the DEP thing first because I wanted to see how that magic happens. In short, what it turns out is that DEP is an API that lives on the public internet that new Macs that come with a certain version of the OS. 10.10 had the DEP hooks in there. And basically what it means is that when a machine is turned on, um, as we know, if we uh, image a machine and accidentally forget to nix the trigger file that pops up setup assistant, as of 10.10, by default, it will basically throw out a request to the DEP API and say, hey, I'm a new Mac. This is my serial number. Am I, by chance, enrolled in a DEP account for any reason? It's pretty basic in that it only sends the serial number and gets back either a, yes, you're enrolled and go to this MDM server to for more instructions, or you're not enrolled and it will move on to sort of the usual interactive set up your Wi-Fi, set up your new computer, basically. But what happens is that if it is enrolled, first step it will do, it will send a number of parameters back to the setup assistant helper tool. And in the background, actually creates a profile of that and then stores it and applies it. That will do a number of things. It will it will tell it to go to the following MDM server for more instructions. But it will also set things like you are able or not able to remove this MDM configuration. So that means that you can, from the start, nail down a client's MDM enrollment and make it impossible to be removed by either an admin user or a regular user, which is pretty powerful. And that's that's defined externally at Apple. Like the activation process, they have your serial numbers on file that says this will always report into this company's MDM. 
Exactly. So how it works is that you make the connection on Apple's side. So there's a DEP portal, which is pretty pretty simple. You either punch in a serial number or a, a PO of machines that you've bought in case you've bought 5,000 of something. It's a little painful to do that by hand. And then you assign it to an MDM server and you can add, I'm guessing not unlimited amount of MDM servers, but you can give it a whole bunch for different serial numbers based on group or unit assignment, whatever it may be, internally a department. And you can say, whenever you check in, when Setup Assistant is run, go and check to see if you need to enroll with an MDM server. One of those keys is that the user will not be able to remove this MDM enrollment. So once that is done, it is basically about as cast in stone as you can get, I would say, uh, barring reloading it and not triggering set so the, assistant. The sorry, the, the fact squirrel has come back. When did the AP start? I see it being expanded in November of 2014 to more countries than just the United States. So it sounded like it was just a couple of months out of the gate. And, and I just look at it right now as we're in this sort of golden time zone where this is going to approach like iOS theft prevention, like activation lock on iOS. Like there's not an iOS device you can get right now that if someone signs in with their iCloud account, you know, their Apple ID into their device, you ain't getting into that device. It's, it's a done deal. It's protected. Right now, the only reason you could bypass DEP would be you install an older OS where the mechanism doesn't recognize it. The, the, right. But at a certain point, all newer hardware going forward will only run El Capitan or later, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Game over. DEP now has full control of those devices for forever every time you reinstall it. That just is... I'm so happy about that in so many ways. I, well, I, there's still, isn't it Mac Buddy running as a a kind of limitation of whether or not this will kick in and be effective? It was actually mentioned by Fletcher Previn, who I now remember the name of. He mentioned it in passing as sort of the experience that they wanted to provide. It is basically a background helper, sort of implied in the name, I guess, process that does a whole bunch of getting things set up in the background while Setup Assistant runs. So part of that is doing the DEP check, seeing if there's any any other uh, configuration profiles anywhere on the system because it does check for other uh, instances, let's say where you image the machine and you pre-provided some configuration profiles for Wi-Fi, some such. It will do checks for that too. So it's a pretty broad-reaching um, process that has its own user People may have seen it as the underscore MB setup user, sometimes running and wondering what the heck that is. That is what it's doing. It's basically a a privileged user account that can do stuff before there is an actual user on the system. And all is revealed. Exactly. So MacBuddy is part of of that initial setup uh, process. It does actually reach out to a whole bunch of different um, frameworks on the system. There's configuration profiles. There's... Oh boy, there's a lot of them. So it, it all is ties together in, you know, kind of one big overseeing process that does as much as possible to get the machine set up for uh, immediate use by the user. I'm sorry, I got yeah. I got two notes on that. One is that that is not the creepiest name of a system level app because I found ShareBear the other day, which is That's right. That's right. which is for iCloud. Uh, I have run into that too. 
And two is the fact that it's very interesting that MacBuddy has that awareness that it has built into the code, obviously, a desire to search on the local image. We've been talking so far about shrink-wrapped boxes. Right. This does not preclude imaging. Mm-hmm. I really like that that is a thing, that therefore we won't have this, okay, iOS is only being signed for versions 9, 2, 1, and higher. Right. It's really nice that that imaging is still something that can be utilized uh, so that we can kind of guarantee and QA an entire system image. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point to bring up because basically a setup assistant can be kicked off. And if you're a Mac admin, you probably have run into this, uh, if not by accident, by design, is that if you drop a, a hidden file in VARDB that's called Apple Setup Done, that basically indicates the setup is done. Do not run it again. If that file isn't there, it will pop it back up. So in most folks' imaging workflows nowadays, you will actually touch that file to not have that come up in a world where DEP will now be fully leverageable by us. And I'll I'll get to where I actually did something more with it, Uh, not to worry, listener, (laughs) because there has to be a payoff. But um, so if you have an imaging workflow where you would like to use DEP, you can, to your heart's content, write images to disk because that will still be faster than using uh, Restore, Internet Restore, making imaging not quite as dead as as, uh, some might have us believe. You can write an image out and not touch that file, and when the user turns it back on, Setup Assistant will run, DEP will kick off, and you are now sort of leveraging the best of both worlds where machines can easily be repurposed, yet be pulled back into the fold as it was a new shrink wrap machine, which is, I think, pretty nice and sort of like equalizes uh, that process not to have two different ways of going about it other than writing an image and not touch that file. Good stuff. So I guess I should close the loop on kind of figuring out what it all did. So the MDM spec has all the various API calls you can make to DEP. And I should stress, though, that DEP is not MDM. DEP is sort of the the fuse to the MDM power keg, if you will. So it uh, it lights, it is the fuse and that lights itself in that it uh, checks in and asks for where should I go to check for an MDM uh, enrollment. That is all it does. Sets a few things, but in sort of keeping with Apple's best practices that they espouse throughout the document is not to try to do too many things in one single configuration step. So they will set the MDM server, allow removal or not, a few other minor things, including holding at setup assistant until configuration is done, which is an important step because that allows us actually to have setup assistant pause while we push more profiles out to the machine to get it all set up for the user. Let's say to have Active Directory or Open Directory enabled to have a an 802.1x uh, profile sent, a few other things. But once that is done, the machine is enrolled in MDM, you can move on. The API that's behind it is a pretty simple, in the end, it's about eight or nine commands that uh, allow you to register a profile, assign a profile, remove a profile, assignment from a machine, check on devices that are enrolled. Something like Casper uses that, by the way, to sync devices registered with DEP with its own bookkeeping of that. And there's also a few scary ones like uh, Disown, which removes a serial number, a a machine assignment from Apple's DEP assignment forever and ever (laughs) and ever. Well... 
the ben, the ben Folds way, you're saying. That's <laughs> Apple makes it very clear that you should use that command with much uh, trepidation and care because uh, you will not be able to re-enroll it once it's been removed. And it actually, believe in recent versions, says that it's actually deprecated. So uh, that's probably a good thing. I think they're going to come up with something that's a little less low-orbit uh, ion cannon type <laughs> style of removal. Uh, it is the only way to be sure. Once I figured out sort of the magic behind it, which turned out to be as as APIs usually are, uh, they seem like magic, but really aren't. I figured this is good stuff to know, but it could be a little easier to use or integrate. So I then kind of set out sort of as the sheriff in uh, my cousin Vinny. I took it upon myself to call around. It was a nice little challenge for myself. See if I can write some kind of Python module or wrapper around this thing that hopefully will encourage others to do more with the DEP than, you know, kind of buy a product off the shelf and call it, call it a day. That's interesting, but it might not be as flexible as, as someone may need. For our needs, definitely, it is not flexible enough. So worked on it a little bit, uh, I guess like two, three weeks, kind of messed around and ended up with something. I think that it works pretty well. Uh, it, it, I, I had to give it a name. And since it was Python based and I had already gone into that route with the uh, BSD Pi, I decided to call it DEPY, but I guess you can just call it DEPI, um, which is just basically a module you can load in your code and it will give you all the API uh, methods that you get from Apple in a neat little Python package. And you can start fusing it with with other things that you're already working on. In the end, the research took a lot more than writing the wrapper around it, but I guess that's kind of how it goes. But I'm really hoping that this encourages others to start doing some cool stuff and some interesting stuff with the DEP API that so far has sort of been locked behind closed doors of commercial products, which is okay, I guess. Everyone has to make a living. But if you're already on a different path where you're using a lot of open source tools are already doing a bunch of API sort of integration, then I figured this might be useful for that uh, for that purpose. Like very publicly, you announced and tweeted and about how you used it to push Monkey to a DEP enrolled Mac, yeah? Right, and that's the next step. And uh, thank you for prompting my, uh, my second part of the story. Once I had that figured out, it kind of like could enroll machines. Luckily, we had a few machines that I had on hand testers. And it turns out you can actually use a VM to clone, quote unquote, a DEP enrolled machine if you're doing a lot of testing. You can set up VMware, have it spoof the serial number. I don't think you have to spoof a whole lot because DEP is really only interested in the serial number. But once that's done, you can roll back a VM and do quick sort of testing. So that's what I did. So my next step was, now that I have DEP working, I can enroll it. And I had some of the proof of concept code for an MDM server from the, uh, the IMAS project, an open source project that sort of implements... Uh, it was a little older, a lot of the MDM spec. So with the document in hand, it was a lot easier for me to go in and actually add some features. So I found through a bunch of, you know, comparing notes and finding bits and pieces here. Uh, it's a, a blog post I wrote about as well, about installing uh, generic Apple packages using an MDM service. I now sort of had the puzzle pieces together in that I could trigger DEP. I could tell it to go check in with an MDM server and I could now using that, that proof of concept code and adding a few things onto it, I was now able to have this Mac uh, tester check in DEP, 
and then hold at Setup Assistant while I do other stuff. And while I do other stuff, since we are monkey users, provided the window to now get a management framework on there. There is a command in the MDM spec called install application, which has sort of two modes. You can do either an app store uh, installation and then you just need the app store ID and you have to tell it whether or not you want to manage this or not. A few other things. The other mode is provide a manifest URL, which is just a URL to a plist of a specific format that lists, among other things, a URL to a standard Apple installer packages. Aha. That became it. Sorry, I'm a, uh, coming to America. I, I say that when I figure something out. Aha. So once I had that figured out, the pieces starting to put to, uh, fit together in that I could now tell this this um, tester, um, hold for a second at Setup Assistant. Here is the MDM install application uh, command. Go check out this this manifest and go do what it says in there. Long story short, the blog post outlines sort of my process of figuring it all out. Um, if you have a signed package and you can use a, uh, your free Apple developer account uh, to, to sign this package, it will go in the background, grab this package, and use the Commerce Kit daemon, Commerce D, I believe it's called, to call out to the install framework and installer framework and actually install this package in the background. So once you get all the things um, set up just right, you have a signed package, you have the MD, MD5, it will actually install this package. And at that point, the sky is the limit because you can make a package that installs a management framework. You can install Puppet or Chef or Ansible or what have you. Toss in a couple of other post-flight scripts or post-install, I should say nowadays, that do other varied stuff like drop a welcome screen, uh, trigger a thing at the login window. Basically, the sky is the limit. So those pieces now have been fit together. DEP, check in, do some basic setup, send an installer, and off to the races we go, basically. So, yeah, I posted a video of it, just a real basic run-through of DEP, check in, first login. Um, We're we're able to create local uh, local accounts, through DEP and and a uh, profile. So there is nothing missing really that that at this point precludes us from doing the exact same thing as IBM and Jam for doing, which is pretty exciting, I thought. And if the server that the package is on is internet accessible, which ideally you would hopefully do that, right? You, mm-hmm. you, you basically have cut all the all the ties like everything that we've got right now in terms of like imaging workflows where you have to net boot to your imaging server or whatever you're trying to do right now now you're mm-hmm. talking about kicking off a laptop at someone's house connects back into your management system pulls down the content that you need all that stuff just flows right exactly yeah so you can you can basically prime the pump to such a point that you can trigger things pretty much the way you would in existing tools like Monkey, for example, has the option of popping up at the login screen. If no one is logged in, pop up and take care of some installs. There is no reason why you can write out a, a launch daemon that monitors for that and does a pre-dep enrollment workflow and then removes itself for uh, to let the, the regular tools, so to say, do their thing. Someone on the uh, Jamf uh, 
the nation forums also started a simple but very, I think, very effective um, welcome screen to mimic the thing that uh, IBM showed, which is a simple Swift app that basically goes full screen at your time of choosing, basically, and sort of tells the user, hey, we're doing a few things. We're setting up a few things. Please hold while we do that. I like the um, uh, the puppy time concept that Pixar talked about during the uh, recent MacBrained meetup where they actually show something pleasing to the user while they do stuff. I think there's some value in that and sort of making the experience not super long. You probably shouldn't be installing the entire Creative Cloud suite during that point, but a couple of the required things I think is a good time to install and then sort of maybe pop up a self-service window to say, hey, this is other stuff that you can install. We've installed the um, the usual or the things we need to manage your Mac. I should probably rephrase it and say, we have installed things to make your Mac uh, ready for use or something like that. And then you can have a self-service step. So now that you've figured this out and you're working and you've got this to, uh, uh, Depi, <laughs> now that Depi is alive, mm-hmm. it, the inspiration for it was kind of like watching the, or the motivation to go looking was the Jamf, the Jamf video or IBM, let's say IBM. There's IBM doing this. There's right. Depi. How many of the other MDM providers are doing anything even remotely like this for OS X and actually doing software installs via MDM? There are some examples. I looked at how, how some vendors are doing this, ones that use an agent. So there are MDM vendors who, I'm not going to name names, so I, I will just use a, a wide swath of the MDM vendor landscape, which is sort of a checkbox feature. We do MDM, we manage OS X endpoints, but we kind of went, you know, A through K on the MDM commands. We'll do the top 10 most requested uh, commands and we'll call it a day. So I don't know of any ones that let you specifically, um, without too many hoops to jump through, install packages like, like you, ad hoc. Like you mentioned the agents, like every one that I've looked at, that's a commercial offering that's out there. Mm-hmm. The agent for OS X, they say, "Oh, well, either you, you you can do it, you can get that on the box how you want." Like that's right. Yeah, they're expecting you to have a management process in place or hand load it onto mm-hmm. your devices. Yeah, exactly. Um, at least a few that I think we probably looked at the same ones that say it's enrolled. Now go grab this this in, this agent installer somewhere else and push it out through ARD, which is <laughs> yeah, exactly. to me completely missing the point of what this can do, how powerful this is. Once you can install packages um, and, you know, Apple enforces a, a decent amount of, uh, of, I think, of, of security and authenticity on the package there, uh, that uh, you can't just grab anyone and just start pushing them out. So uh, you can nail that down pretty good. You can install anything you want. Um, I, I, I think I mentioned it um, as I was figuring this out that, you could have this be a system went out of went out of management because uh, it was removed or someone did so, did something to it. If you have it enrolled through DEP and disallow the removal of your profile, you will never lose that machine. You can always say, "Hmm, it looks like monkey or puppet or chef or Ansible or any of those that you may be using is out of whack. It's not working right." You can now say automatically push it back, push the management uh, framework back onto it and get it back into compliance, which other frameworks, other other vendors, it, it will be go to ARD and reinstall it. I think that doing it through MDM is a much better uh, way to do it because that will always be there. MDM will always be there. ARD, not necessarily. 
that needs to be on. Uh, SSH needs to be on. Connectivity to the devices needs to be. MDM. In place. Exactly. Right. Whereas exactly. with MDM, they basically need to be able to get out to the Apple servers and get their notification. Like the device goes looking for instruction, basically, uh, well, which is so much easier to do. Well, it's 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 the APNS, the Apple push push notifications, right. make it make it go and check. So as long as a machine is online in what whatever capacity, and I don't think a lot of people nowadays have mental. <laughs> inner peace if they're not connected to the internet. So machines are going to be online a lot of the times. If a machine is online, APNS can read it, reach it. If APNS can reach it, your MDM can do what it needs to do. Um, similarly, if a machine goes off the reservation and is lost but still checking in, I can send uh, something like the, the Google's Mac Destroyer. Mac Destroyer and Or maybe a diagnostics or recovery tools to exactly. look at where it's at. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. The sky at that point is the limit. So Apple gives you a lot of, I think, very powerful tools. It's just, I think that it's sort of a, you know, it's it's a it's a, a balance between for commercial products, they want to, you know, further their their uh, sort of, you know, their goals, which is sell more seats and have more features that will hopefully sell more seats in the future, which is fine. You know, every. You have to make money and you have to use a certain approach. But if you can leverage this for yourself, I think you would probably look at some of these other features that are just not exposed or not in a way that make it universally applicable to larger shops that by and large do a lot of their own custom development. Uh, Just to jump back to uh, the, the Pixar thing I mentioned, they are Casper users, but they've wrapped quite a Ruby-based, in this case, API around it to make it sort of pick up for all the things that Casper doesn't do or not as well or not in the way they want it to. So I know that there are shops out there that are are doing some custom development, but because a lot of this is sort of behind closed doors, it's hard to leverage that. I hate the word leverage, but in this case, I think it applies. That's what I'm kind of trying to get going, to move ahead to, you know, this is how it works. figured it out please let's write you know let's write cool stuff basically well i am i i for one am totally excited about this entire project and uh uh you're gonna be are you speaking at the mac admins uh london about this or mac a duck mac a duck mac a duck (laughs) yep uh i I know you shouldn't date podcasts but uh, it's a few days before that uh, event yes i'm speaking there about uh, open source software and docker sort of all rolled into one i am planning on uh, touching on it for sure because um sort of to give you a preview if you're not going in the videos will be uh forthcoming after it um basically i'm trying to make a connection between not I, i mean um, Alistair and uh, Ben Thompson did a very effective versus uh, open source versus commercial um, session that sort of gave a very good, uh, you know, this is what this is good at. That's what that that's good at. I'm t- trying to sort of give more of a, we all know our strengths and weaknesses, but there are some really great ways that are happening right now of combining the two things like JSS import, for example, using open source tools to make, a commercial product better. And I think that's sort of where this is going to fit in, where what Apple is doing and what Apple is documenting for you, but not necessarily giving you, 
you know, the A to Z, this is how you should probably implement this. They're a little more hands-off, which is fine. They have a, a lot of other things to do. Um, that's sort of how I, I think I will be presenting that in that you can combine these things. You can, once it's opened up a little more, you get it, the puzzle pieces are on the table and, and you can, or the Lego pieces probably is better, uh, better metaphor. You, you know, start snapping some pieces together and see what it do, what it, what it will do. Cause um, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of benefit to get from that. Even if you're not a uh, particular customer of one or the other commercial uh, product. We can wrap it up. One of the things that I want to leave our listeners with as a riddle wrapped in puzzle or an enigma wrapped in bacon yeah bacon is uh is that we're talking in commerce kit that it can i'm sorry commerce d that it can install a package from the mac app store as dep is sending commands to this machine why ios devices can use an app to kick off a vpn and all of a sudden you have a vpn device wide that makes sense to me. I don't see, unless you, like, it's not necessarily very popular to use VPN profiles on the Mac because the hardware support, just vendors haven't gotten off their butts to necessarily make that happen in a lot of industries and in a lot of uh, enterprises. Uh, so why is it, um, beyond the fact that, yes, it means that they can have better integration with the store that they can sell more licenses of software through, but what is the end game there? There may be it, something can, there that Commerce D handing off from DEP facilitates. But can, can I make a, a stab in the dark? No, no, you can hold it until next uh, uh, episode because that way you'll actually follow up with me and we'll record in the nearer future than, uh, than otherwise. <laughs> and our listeners can give us some feedback as to what they feel might be the answer to that particular riddle. Pupine, uh, we know that you're at Macaduck. Michael, are there other things that we're looking forward to in the near future from you? I'm going to try and make a first-time appearance at PSU Mac this year. Uh, that's So uh, all you East Coasties out there that I've never got to meet in person, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that big time. Mac DevOps YVR just moved up their dates, but they're still a scant week before PSU. I would highly recommend it. It's an amazing conference. But for me this year, unfortunately, I'm going to have to pass because I've got a, a, a new one on the way. Uh, uh, my daughter will be due in March. And, and I think my family is only going to be able to, to live with, uh, with one disappearance of daddy for a short time. So uh, unfortunately, I have to give it a pass this year. But I highly recommend it to anyone else, even remotely considering it. The the arrival of a bundle of joy is definitely a a more short term uh, landmark on our on our calendar, Mister Pepin Bruyen. If you'd like to give your sign off, okay, I'll be probably going to uh, PSU Mac as well. Uh, it's close drive for me, so I usually uh, uh, tend to go. If you want to find any of us, I should do that part. Uh, come meet us on uh, on the Mac Admin Slack. Uh, we have waffles. Yes. <laughs> They're virtual, but still, they're waffles. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, Come meet us there. We are, I think, at this point, what are we? 3,100, 3,100 or more strong. Oh, gosh. We're way beyond that now. Oh, my God. uh, We're up to uh, 3,300 now. Oh, man. 
Wow. Yeah. So uh, bas- short story, uh, there's a lot of people there. Um, <laughs> you will find uh, many Mac admins of, a very, uh, of various backgrounds and skill levels uh, there to uh, learn from or uh, teach to, which is nice to do uh, both ways. Um, I'm uh, on there. Uh, I, I'm pretty much on all the, the various uh, media under my last name, and I'll let, let you uh, spell it because I'm tired of spelling my last name. But find me on Twitter, GitHub, Bitbucket, and Slack. Uh, all sorts of stuff going on there. You'll find me in Slack sitting on my hands. And uh, I'm everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember, private framework. That is how yeah, you just, find just, it. Just speak those magic words out loud. Like Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. All right, shall we put it in the can? That is it. This was fun. Hope to do it again soon. Thanks, guys. Uh, This was the Frogger 45. Cut, 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 cut. Alistair now goes and and cuts it down within an inch of its life. (laughs) That is it. All righty. You guys have a good one.